0: Shotgun snap, quick throw, caught by Green, it It it. is a touchdown, Adriel, Jeremiah Green. You don't live in Cleveland, you
1: live in Cincinnati. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast that is still here. Don't worry, we took a week's break. We've been working on a few things and trying to figure a few things out and obviously till, still trying to keep safe. So uh, we did take a break, but we're back now. So welcome back to us and to you. We hope you're staying safe. Uh, you're staying sensible until this thing rides out. Eventually, my name is Paul Hirons and joining me is my usual partner in crime. This is Nathan Palmer, everybody.
2: How you doing, my son? I mean, obviously this lockdown, it's been, you know, it's been a difficult time for all of us out there. But, I mean, especially for you now, because it must have been, what, <laughs> nearly three months since I've been in that same room and seen you. Exactly.
1: It has been – I mean, it's a little bit kind of dusty. There's a few cobwebs in there. Mind you, there's a few cobwebs in there anyway, I think. But, um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, looking a bit deserted and a bit forlorn downstairs, I must say. Because we, now we're doing this on Skype, I'm actually doing this in my bedroom. So, yeah. Um, which is very exciting for everybody to know. But the sewing room is still there, Nathan. Still, you know, it'll be there when all this is kind of okay and over. So... Um we're going to get absolutely hammered that first time that we... Oh, mate, in 100%. The
2: <laughs> Are we? Do, do you think, like, do you th- I mean, like, I've, I've been having some really interesting debates about this, right? Let, let's start the podcast off on a, on a philosophical note, right? Oh, blimey, okay. So I've been having a few debates with people about this. How do you think... Have communication... you been having some mass debates, Nathan? <laughs> or no? No? That's another subject right there, son. <laughs> Sorry. Um... Mate. I've been having debates about whether or not and, like, how people's communication has changed. Right. Being online versus in person. So, like, it's a good example for our podcast. Because, like, do you think the podcast, like, how do you think it was different when we were in the same room versus now? Do you know what I mean? And it's obviously, like, Mm. bleeds over into the work culture and how people work without actually having, you know, that interaction. Um, I mean, you can't
1: substitute face-to-face interaction. I mean, we've spoken... Sorry? But why? But why because especially what we do we pick up on kind of facial recognition and we pick up on uh little nods and winks and stuff like that and especially during interviews we point at each other to kind of direct who's going to ask the next question. But having said that, ever since we've been on Skype doing this on Skype, um it's, it's been fine. It's been really fine. So I don't know. I think it will change people. And I, I kind of do a quiz every week. I do a virtual pub thing every week. I know that you play poker with your mates and all this. So I've, I've actually continued to be as sociable as I possibly can. And it hasn't really stopped me,
2: really. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I just, I'm, I'm intrigued by the whole, like, how people's communication different via telephone, via video chat like via in person it's such an interesting like difference in like how the dynamic changes and stuff like that but anyway we, you know we got to, let's get back to talking about um the whole reason for this podcast my son exactly
1: uh food drink and no i'm joking that... food drink bums and beers exactly uh, what food drink bums and be- i don't think we've ever spoken about bums in
2: the,
1: on this uh, podcast have we
2: no, but episode eighty-five. Oh, it's going to be a corker!
1: Uh, no, it, we are of course uh, a Cincinnati Bengals podcast, and uh, it's a bit quiet out there. It's a little bit barren uh, news-wise. You know, Carlos Dunlap, AJ Green, and Geno Atkins got voted onto PFF's uh, top one hundred players of the decade. So, congratulations to them, and they were—I think—that was a very worthy selection. So, that was one piece of news. Uh, What else have we got? What else has been happening? Not a lot, really.
2: I know, it's like crickets, isn't it, a little bit, son? I know. Lucky lucky we're not doing a daily podcast. (laughs) I
1: know, I know. Uh, Chad Johnson received a bunch of cigars from the Bengals to say thank you for his ambassadorship during this this off-season. He has been really active, actually. I can't remember him being as involved as much with the Bengals for a long time, actually.
2: No, I think, it's, I think it's good. I mean, Chad's like, you know, in honour to, you know, episode 85, has always been one of the, I think, one of the fans' favourite players. Um, and I think with the Bengals, you know, moving to the sort of younger, fresh head coach, drafting their new franchise quarterback, I think to have someone as engaging and fun as him, um, being a part of the coverage and part of the picture is a, is a positive thing for them, you know. I know people, you know, most fans hold him in high regard. Absolutely agree.
1: Now, um, because it's been a little bit quiet out there, I thought, you know, because people still want us to do this podcast throughout the summer, uh, normally we'd be on our own little break at the moment, maybe perhaps going on holiday or going to watch cricket somewhere or just hanging out in the sunshine. Um, But it seems uh, that uh, you guys still want us to carry on throughout the off-season and we're more than happy to do that. But we want to make the the podcast entertaining and... uh, and still worth tuning into. Um, so we thought, you know, let's do some themed podcasts. OK, let's talk about our favourite players. Let's talk about the history of the club. You know, the watch parties have gone down really, really well. And it's really, really reminded people uh, who we used to have on the team. If they haven't seen it jet we had a, a game featuring Jeff Blake and Carl Pickens on Sunday. And not a lot of people had seen those guys play. So it's it seems like a good time to keep the podcast going, but also concentrate on themes. And because this episode is number 85, we thought we'd focus in on the number 85, the jersey number 85. Um, last week I wrote a piece on the blog, which is uh, bengalsuk.wordpress.com. Uh, asking what was the most successful jersey number of all time when it comes to the Bengals. And what I mean by that is, you know, you take a number like, say, number nine and you can trace it back. At the moment, Joe Burrow is the, the current wearer or will be the current wearer of number nine. But then you've got, like, Carson Palmer going back years and so on and so forth. And it was really quite an interesting exercise, actually. And there were some... Really fantastic numbers and players associated with those numbers. Um, Just for instance, you had uh, number 14, um, which was worn by Ken Anderson. You know, borderline, well, not borderline, should be Hall of Fame quarterback. Andy Dalton, who went to the playoffs five times in the Pro Bowl, three times, you know. So you would class that as a very successful number. Then you've got like number 18, you've got AJ Green, Charlie Joyner, Paul Robinson. And you can go through the numbers, and um, I mean, number 28 is a real corker. Um, mostly running backs. Harold Green, who had a 1,000 uh, a yard season in 1992. Then you get to Corey Dillon in the late 90s, who obviously had, he was a, an amazing player. And today's where it is Joe Mixon, two straight 1,000 yard. Plus seasons, you know, that's a pretty successful number. But as I went through, uh, one really stood out and it was number 85. And I kind of thought, well, you know, we're going to be doing 85, episode 85. So why don't we concentrate on that number and take a look at some of the players uh, that have worn that jersey?
2: Absolutely, my son. Tell us more.
1: Well, we do have one of those 85s. Um, uh lined up ready to talk to us uh, so all will be revealed sooner rather than later um, but you look at that number i mean 80 was pretty special 81 was pretty special 84 was pretty special you know tj hushmazada jermaine gresham bob Trumpie. uh 81 you had Carl pickens eddie brown terrell owens tyler croft even and 80 you had sort of uh, chris collins with Carl pickens again Peter Warwick and uh, Chase Kaufman, but we won't we won't dwell on Chase Kaufman too much. The, the Chase Kaufman. The Chase Kaufman. Do you remember
2: him? Yeah, yeah, I think he played for the Falcons for a while. After he might even still be in the league, you
1: know. I don't know whether he's still in the league, but he never quite made it, did he? Unfortunately, he never quite did it. But anyway, so you get to 85. Really, it seems to me to be the the Bengals' real Hollywood number. You know, you look at some of the players uh, that have worn that number and um, you know I know that uh, wide receivers are only as good as their quarterbacks it's a very much kind of uh, two-way thing but I don't know man it's just something about watching amazing wide receivers kind of catch you know jump and catch the ball diving around they always seem to have a bit of swagger Um, they're, they're, they're arguably the most fun position group
2: to watch, I think, on a football field. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think definitely the wide receiver is the most exciting position in football. It's that they have that sort of diva label, fairly slash unfairly associated with them. They're the speedy guys. They're the guys that score the most. I think it's 100% one of the most exciting positions. And I think certainly for the Bengals as a franchise has delivered the most, um, you know, quite a few of the biggest characters that we've had play on the team.
1: Yes, and, and some of those characters have worn 85. And the first one that we're going to concentrate on is uh, Isaac Curtis, who played um, for the Bengals between 1973 and 1984. Here's some dramatic music coming in. Uh, he, Isaac was drafted in 1973 in the first round, pick 15, uh, and went on to be selected for four Pro Bowls and three All-Pro teams he finished uh, with 416 receptions, uh, 7,101 yards, and 53 touchdowns. And if you've seen any footage on YouTube um, of Isaac catching the ball and running, more importantly, I think running after the catch, he was an absolute sight to behold. He was, he was just, he was like a horse galloping. He had these long legs. And he was one of the quickest, if not the, the quickest, um, players in the league. And unlike John Ross, who was, he was a very sort of twitchy, kind of stop-start speedy guy, Isaac was a real kind of straight-line speed guy. And some of his uh, catches and, and runs are just absolutely fantastic. Have you seen much of uh, Isaac Curtis, uh, Nathan?
2: Yeah, obviously only a little bit Um, and I was reading up about him today and about just this sort of the absolute, like you were saying before, the straight line speed that he possessed and very interestingly, and I don't know if you've got this in your notes and you're going to be uh, head in your hands, but like one of the interesting things I read about him was the fact that there was a rule implemented. Um, just mm-hmm. based on his performance. Because obviously, so quick, you know, you've got a lot of teams that double teamed him, triple teamed him. And I think Paul Brown at the time was sort of, you know, complained to the league and said, you know, this guy is just getting manhandled by these people and they're not letting him sort of get out of his break. Yeah. Um, and they actually implemented the Isaac Curtis rule, which is just about as we see it today, the whole like you could only like bump, push people for five yards and then they're off um that was basically implemented because of the sheer speed that he had back then
1: yeah absolutely and and he just mentioning his speed again and that's obviously some of the reason why people trying to hold him back i mean apparently he ran the um the 100 yard dash in 9.3 seconds as a member of his university track team I mean that's that's kind of world class sprint speed right there isn't it and sub 10 10 seconds is pretty incredible
2: yeah absolutely i mean and that's that's back in the day as well like you think like nowadays if you had the old under armour gear on and the sneakers he might to <laughs> shave yeah, yeah. uh, a point 1 or 2 of a second off of that
1: um paul brown said of isaac curtis he was a very gentle person no jumping up and down spiking it or trash talking he just got on with the job, and Ken Anderson, our dear old chum Ken, uh, said that uh, he was Jerry Rice. He was the Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice, and uh, yeah, I urge you to go onto YouTube to 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 find out more about Isaac and and look at some of his highlights because he had this wonderful touchdown celebration where he kind of like dunked it behind his head. Um, but all in one really smooth movement. He was a really smooth player but also really quick and uh and apparently his 17.1 yards per catch uh is still a Bengals record and only Chad Johnson um broke his receiving yards franchise record in 2007 and Kyle Pickens broke his 53 touchdown record as well. So but you know up until then he was the man and you know there were some good players uh in that obviously that it, you know you've got to be a good team and some good players to get to the super bowl and alongside isaac there was a rookie chris collinsworth and in the 70s you know he was part of a um uh a bengal's team that went to you know that in 1975 looked like a super bowl caliber team you know uh but once again guess who got in our way um Yes, that's right. The Pittsburgh Steelers. But, um, you know, he was part of a, an AFC Central winning uh, team who was, you know, who were in that division with Pittsburgh, who were really good back then. You know, it was Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan and all these other guys, you know. Um, so Isaac is our first uh, 85 that we're celebrating. And uh, I mean, he is he, he He's one of my favourite all-time Bengals, I must say. Just the more I see of him, the more I go, "Wow, what a player!"
2: No, a hundred percent. Obviously, you know Isaac Curtis, one of the, you know clearly one of the best players we've had at the position, son. But nowadays, I Isaac Curtis. I've just looked this up. He's sixty-nine years old, right? Yeah. I, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I'm going to guess you're late forties, like forty eight, forty nine, maybe maybe forty five at the best. <laughs> yeah, Do you, you reckon? And obviously, on. you used to be a bit of an athlete back in your day. Like you were a good soccer player back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Do you reckon? And you're talking up you're talking up Isaac Curtis's speed, right? Do you reckon no. if you if you re-implemented the one hundred yard dash, yes, socially distanced. That you could take him right now?
1: No, not in nine point three seconds.
2: No, not nine point three. You versus Isaac Curtis is sixty nine. So he's running it at sixty nine, and you're running it at however old you are. Could you outrun oh, I him? I don't
1: at this know, point? man. That's a tricky question. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. I probably could. <laughs> <laughs> but...
2: Right, ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard live on this eighty <laughs> fifth episode of Cincinnati Now that Paul Hiron's is going to outrun Isaac Curtis over 100 yards it has been said
1: yeah a 69 year old isaac <laughs> curtis um
2: i reckon he's still doing <laughs> your fun
1: i oh, well i I wouldn't be surprised seat. if he did quite frankly you know but um <laughs> i don't know I, I you know who knows how much he lo- i'm i'm looking forward to hitting that stage where i find out how much i lose it uh my physical prowess although it's kind of gone already really um <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm twenty years plus behind Isaac, so I, re- I reckon I could give him a good run for his
2: money. Oh, I'd love to see it. I, re- I reckon I'd probably back you, son, if I'm honest. But yeah.
1: it's just a case of whether I could actually get to a hundred yards without having a heart attack. I think <laughs> that that would be the key. I think if I made it to a hundred yards, then I think I'd probably just about edge him, maybe, <laughs> maybe.
2: I oh, wonder what the geezer would be like now. Obviously he was an absolute specimen. Oh in yeah, his yeah. day. Yeah. So you, yeah, I don't know, you don't know, dear. Do it depends what sort of shape he's keeping himself in these days. We'll have yeah. to, we'll have to find out and get get this race together. Okay, okay. This is sounding
1: like a bit like Ocho Cinco versus the horse, isn't it? When he- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> horse.
2: Which one are you son? I
1: don't know. I think I'm probably the horse, but a very old, knackered horse. I think. <laughs> Right, time for our next 85.
0: Zayas to downfield clothes Tim McGee is on the run. The fastest Bengal trying to get away from people who have an angle on him. Eaton moves in and can't get him. And Tim McGee takes it in.
1: That's right. It's Tim McGee who played for the Bengals a decade later in the 80s, and uh, formed a brilliant partnership with, with Eddie Brown. And he's going to be coming up in a few minutes. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And he's going to tell us a little bit more about that 88. 89 Super Bowl team what it was like to to be a wide receiver in the NFL and some other tidbits and he was you know he's a lovely man so uh stay tuned for that so uh Nathan Tim McGee
2: Tim McGee Um, I've got to confess, I don't know as much about him as I did Isaac Curtis. I know he was at the Bengals, he went to the Redskins and I think he finished his career in Cincinnati, didn't he? Um, Yeah, he did. He came back in 94. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, And, you know, obviously played for us in the early 90s. Great player. And I think, you know, like I said, I think the Bengals have been so lucky over the years to have some incredible wide receivers and, you know, some of these older guys before my time, you hear nothing but good things from the fans like yourself, son, that um, watched them play back in the day. And I think that's why, as you mentioned before, these watch parties have been a fantastic advert for some of the legends of the, the franchise that we've been able to watch and see.
1: So basically, what you're saying is it's down to me to tell everyone what Tim McGee was like. Then that's what well, you're saying.
2: Look, I, 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 you know, I was four years old when this geezer
1: was. There's stra- no excuse. St- you should have been strapped in and striped up, mate, at four <laughs> four years old. No I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so Tim McGee, uh, he was uh, drafted by the Bengals in the uh, another uh, first round pick, twenty first overall, in the 1986 uh, NFL draft. Um, drafted, uh, he was. He's an uh, Ohioan born fellow uh, but he went to college in Tennessee and he was drafted in 86 and of course you know he even though he was a first rounder um, he was behind on the depth chart too Eddie Brown and uh, Chris Collinsworth so again that was a pretty good um, pretty good uh, tandem right there and as you'll hear in a moment he had to sort of bide his time really uh, but then he broke out in well Collinsworth got injured, and uh, it was it, we had a watch party recently that uh, uh, showed the nineteen eighty eight Philadelphia game, and that was really um, you'll hear him uh, you'll hear Tim talk about it in a little while. His coming out game because Collinsworth was injured, uh, in Tim McGee came and he didn't look back after that really, um, and then in nineteen eighty nine he had his career year, sixty five receptions. 1,211 yards and eight touchdowns and um, he was a real speedy guy and uh, so with him and Eddie Brown that was quite a formidable, they weren't like huge specimens, they weren't like an A.J. Green or an Isaac Curtis or uh, an Auden Tate for instance, they weren't super physical guys, what they were was really, really quick receivers.
2: Yeah, a question for you, my son. Mm. Like, obviously, you've been watching the game for a number of years now. Like, how do you think the position has evolved from those guys back then to today? Do you think now that the focus is more on the physical aspect of a receiver, or do you, you know, or do you, do you think that speeds any less important? Or how how have you how would you say that someone like a Tim McGee would fare in the NFL now? Like, how do you think the positions changed?
1: That's a really good question. I don't think it has changed too much, if I'm being honest with you, because you look back at your Isaac Curtis's. And your Tim McGee's, and they're both very different players, obviously. Um, but they they still look familiar. Do you know what I mean? They look they're still athletic specimens, you know. Um, and I think I think uh, perhaps now someone like a Tim McGee, who was five uh, ten, perhaps would have been more a slot receiver uh, today, uh, Isaac Curtis, without a doubt, he would have been, uh, he would have been, you know, on AJ's level today. I don't think there's any uh, doubt about that, but let, let's, let's ask the man himself, shall we? Let's bring Tim McGee in. He was a Bengal for nine years in total, was part of the AFC championship winning team in the 88, 89 season, and was part of one of the deadliest wide receiver duos in the NFL during that time. Welcome to Cincinnati, Tim McGee.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All is good on this end. Good. That's
1: good to hear, man. That's good to hear. Now, you were a, a very fine receiver when you played for the Bengals. Um, what was the biggest transition for you when you came into the league, And which I believe it was like 86. Is that right? Yes, that's,
0: that is correct. Hey, I, I tell you, the biggest transition was the... Speed, overall speed of the game. Meaning, I was—you you go from the highest guy on the totem pole, the fastest guy on the field in college. Hmm. So you're able to outrun everyone. You—you know—you can use speed as a asset pretty much a hundred percent of the time. Hmm. But then when you transition to the National Football League, you are kinda at, you're kind of looking at—you're kind of looking at yourself in the mirror as far as athleticism's speed, endurance, now it became the, the difference in the game be, became the mental part of the game, mm. uh, understanding the game and, and the techniques, using the techniques, when to use the techniques. So it was more entailed than just the physicality of the game. So the transition from college to pros for me wasn't the fact that I was fast. It was how do I control the speed? How do I learn the breakdowns? How do I learn the systems? find the holes in the defenses, and then apply the physical talent. So it was a big adjustment from college to pros. Fortunately for me, I went to a pro-style, I was I played in a pro-style offense in college. I played with coaches, Walt Harris, that later coached in, 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 in the NFL. So I was probably more prepared than I would say 80% of uh, other players coming into the NFL that had not had the experience that I had. Mm. And when you
1: joined, when you were drafted by the Bengals, um, you know, Sam uh, and Paul Brown, I guess, was the general manager. So those guys drafted you. That was quite a compliment, I would imagine. But you were behind Chris Collinsworth, uh, weren't you, On uh, in the depth chart? Um, just, no. gi- just give us an insight into how you prepared to take your big chance, because you came into the team in 88 and i remember that breakout game against philadelphia that you had cuz we've been we've been doing watch parties every every sunday and we one of the classic games that we replayed for fans to tweet along with was the philadelphia game and i remember that was a real breakout uh, game for you early in that 88 season um just give us an insight tim how you prepared for that big chance because say hey, collinsworth was a big name and uh, you know, you were getting snaps and you were playing, but suddenly you were, you'd become a starter.
0: Well, I, I tell you, it was, it was fairly interesting in, in in that when I was drafted, by being a first-round draft pick, typically you come in and there's a lot of pressure for that first-rounder to produce and produce early and often. I did not have that pressure because I had the great Eddie, Eddie Brown in front of me and Chris Carter, Collinsworth, who were... Eddie was a the, the rookie of the year and Chris Collinsworth was an all pro. So I could learn from those, from those guys. But what Bruce Cosley did, our offensive coordinator, and of course Sam Weiss, our head coach, what they did to keep me into the game, I had my fair share of plays. I had my fair share of snaps that I look forward to. So they captured every moment for me by bringing me along steadily. And then Chris went down so I was already prepared mm. to play all three positions. So whether it was Chris at the time, which it was, or Eddie or a slot guy, I was the guy that go that went in and filled those gaps. And, of course, I did have that breakout game in Philadelphia where when I stepped in, the offense did not miss a beat. Matter of fact, I, I think not just because of me, collectively, that Philadelphia game at the time playing against the great Reggie White and the great um, Randall Cunningham, Mm. that kind of catapulted our season to know that we could play at not just a high level but the highest level, and the way we won that game on the road, the way we we, we performed, I think that was just the start of something big, and I was just happy to be a part of it, And, and that was my breakout game, so that was a breakout game for not only for that season, but probably
1: for my career. I mean, it was a great game, wasn't it? It was, I mean, it, it really was fantastic to watch it again. And we've had, we've had some of your teammates from that team on the podcast before Solomon Wilcots, David Fulcher, uh, anti Munoz and, uh, you know, other people. Um, and, uh, I just, they've got stories to tell. We've interviewed Sam White as well. Um, God rest him. And, uh, before he passed and, uh, I always ask them this question. What was it like being on that team?
0: Well, I I think you have to start with the beginning of the season. Hmm. We had a disappointing year prior to that season. And when we came into training camp, and I know many guys have said this story because, number one, it's true, and not only was it authentic, it worked. Hmm. And Sam put together what was an unprecedented I would say I'm I'm going to call it an unprecedented situation where he wanted chemistry. He wanted chemistry. He knew we had the talent, but did we have the chemistry? And and chemistry is not something you can just define. Mm -hmm. It's meaning everyone getting along, everyone understanding, and we're all working in one breath. We're all trying. We have a common goal, and we're all working towards that common goal. And what he did, he started off the season by mixing, intermixing, offensive, defense, black and white. If you didn't know a big guy, little guy would big guy. So, it, you know, a little guy like me with, with a defensive tackle, we had nothing in common. And, like, when yeah. I say nothing from a football sense, let's just face it, we didn't see each other. In the, and the only time we spent any time with each other from an opposite or bipolar standpoint was the very first three minutes of a team meeting. Other than that, we broke off in the defense. Then we broke off into individual groups, and what Sam was able to capture, he captured our attention to care for the other person, to understand the other person, to have empathy for the other person, mm-hmm. follow the other person that was on your team. So I thought that was the key ingredient to our success. We knew we had the physical talent. Mm-hmm. We knew that. Mm-hmm. But how do you get over If you look at the great coaches of all times, the Phil Jacksons and Pat Rileys in basketball and the great skippers in baseball, it's how you get over the mental side on the professional level. Professional sports is about the mental side. And he was able to capture that. And that started us from a, from the first moment. That started us being one opposed to collectively individuals wanted to reach their milestones for the contract. They wanted to go to the Pro Bowl. They wanted this. They wanted this for self. But then he made sure we put others in before we put ourselves, and it's kind of like a family. You put yeah. your family, your wife, and your kids before you put yourself in there, and he did an excellent job in, in that
1: So who do, who was your roommate?
0: My roommate was a guy named Mike Hammerstein. Ah, yes. and then I had Brian Blado, so I had big Brian Mike Hammerstein was the was yeah, I had big Blade. <laughs> he was the um oh my god, he was the um, pig pin uh off of Charlie Brown. <laughs> 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 but it was great, but once again it was just really good because again it it wasn't opposite attracts. It was okay, what do you guys what do you guys do in your meeting Because our perception right. of a defensive lineman, you just go in there and talk to each other. Because what are you doing? There's, there's all you don't run routes. All you do is run, go straight up field, mm-hmm. and then you find out that you know these guys have they're total opposite of what we do, but they're just as important, and sometimes more important. Mm-hmm. So just to understand what they do, it, it meant a lot. Um,
1: your real partnership, though, was with Eddie, Eddie Brown. Um, what made you two such a fantastic wide receiving duo? Do you think were you complimentary? Were you? just all-out speedsters who would, who would give the opposing secondary nightmares? What, what made you dovetail so well?
0: Selflessly, we took self out of the equation. Mm. And, and, I, and I know Eddie was already established, and I was not there to, in any way, shape, or form, to compliment Eddie, and I wasn't there to overshadow Eddie. Mm. What I was there was to do my job. And what Bruce explained, all of us, myself, Chris, and Eddie, we had a place. Mm. And we didn't have a place that I had to concede or someone had to concede. It's what was important, and I'll never forget this. When people look at the films and they saw boomers play action to Eddie, Mm -hmm. those two were not the most important players on the field. The most important player on the field was me. And Bruce Cosrick told me that. Why? Because I was the one who had to take two, say, a safety and a corner blazing through the middle of the field. And as I blazed through the middle of the field and Boomer looked, looked, looked and kept his head down, then looked up. Well, Eddie came underneath me. Yeah. And he had the one on one. So my job was to take two. And that was, that's how we were so able to have success individually and collectively because when it was his turn, I made sure I did what I had to do and when it was my turn, he did what he had to do. And and you know, obviously Chris was kinda at the latter part of his career, but he had his moments and we just we didn't look at it. I mean honestly, we looked at it as in I tell you what was what was so interesting. I gotta tell you this. Here's what oh, was really interesting. We would get the we would get the top ten plays and what Sam and Bruce did that was phenomenal. They made sure we all had a playing somewhere in the top 10 or 15 plays of the game. Why? So we wouldn't mentally get out of the game. So if right, you didn't right. get the ball, you didn't get a pass, you didn't get a pass in the second half, you're like, man, this is, you know, professional athletes, we're crybaby. We You know, we got to be fed. We, we, we have that hunger, that competitive spirit. And they always did, always did that. Now, the second part of that was if one person gets hot, that's who we're going with. Right, right. So if James Brooks got hot, or Icky got hot, or Boomer got hot, or Rodney Holman, we were going to ride that coattail because that was their day, hmm. and we all had that understanding. And that's what that's what worked so well for us, all but the last game of the season.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we won't we won't talk about that, Tim. We won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, listen, man, honestly, you gave us a really great insight, and of course, that offense was an absolute machine, and with but with many moving parts. So. Uh, and it's great to hear that you had that very selfless uh, attitude. And I certainly grew up with that team. So I can't thank you enough. And what a what a treat it's been to talk to you. Um, so, Tim, thank you so much for the time, man. It's been a real treat. And uh, stay safe. And hopefully we can talk again.
0: OK. All right. Sounds good to me.
1: So there we go. That was Tim McGee. And thank you very much to Tim uh, for joining us. Lots of interesting stuff there, Nathan, I think.
2: Yeah, 100%. And incredible to get one of the guys that that made the 85 number in Cincinnati Famous on our podcast and continue the the reel of excellent guests that we've had on. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, So next, um, it is, uh, well, I mean, he doesn't need much of an introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway.
0: What's up, man? This is your boy, Chad, a.k.a. Ocho Cinco. I got a trivia question. How do you stop 85. I'm going to give you your money's worth before I leave today. day. Well, you're going to kiss the baby today. Man, I can catch that one sitting on the toilet. Makes the move inside the box. Touchdown, Six Silva. Chad, please. Chad, please. Chad's
2: out there. Got it. Throws yeah. long. Right got
0: Chad wide open. Touchdown, Chad Johnson.
2: Throwing nice. end zone. Touchdown, Chad Johnson.
0: Man, I can catch that one sitting on the toilet.
2: Chad's out there. Yeah. Got
0: it throws long got got Chad wide open touchdown Chad Johnson and a little dance from Chad Johnson a little jig in New Orleans Chad Johnson on the sideline got on a knee like he was proposing to Daphne over there <laughs> and uh I don't know if Daphne accepted or not there's three things in life that's certain death taxes and 85 will always be open
1: there we go that's Chad Johnson and uh I mean no As I say, no real introduction needed for that, but uh, we thought we'd give him one anyway. Um, He was the reason why you became, well, apart from Carson, he was the reason why you became uh, a Bengals fan, correct?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think for a lot of people in my sort of era that have been fans, sort of that sort 10, 15-year mark, he was just iconic. And I think for not just Bengals fans, he was someone that put Cincinnati on the map. And for a smaller market franchise, whenever you've got a player like that, it's an exciting time. And I think we're now sort of entering that realm with Joe Burrow uh, being sort of a national icon and someone that sort of, you know, the the franchise is recognised for. And Chad was really that guy for us for a long period of time. And he, he did it in such a fun tasteful and exciting manner you know we talked about the wide uh, wide receiver position being one of the most exciting on the team and he epitomized everything about the position he had the speed he had absolutely incredible footwork like you know arguably the best route runner that's ever graced the nfl just incredible hips and body movement exceptional hands really good speed and he just knew how to wind people up and when we had Carson Palmer on a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about you know some of the antics that he got up to, winding up the Cleveland secondary, his iconic celebrations, the golf part, the time when he got in the camera, the time he proposed to the cheerleader, the Hall of Fame jacket, all of these times that as a fan just absolutely maximise your experience. You know, watching the game, it's like not only does someone score, but he's got all these sort of you know, fun and interesting things he's doing as well. And something that everyone forgets about Chad, and it goes under the radar a bit, was he was one of the main people that kicked off Twitter. I mean, I remember Mm. being one of the first people on Twitter, like, years and years and years ago I've been on Twitter. I've been on Twitter about 10, 15 years, it feels like myself. And he was one of the reasons I joined Twitter, because he'd, like, just started using it, and he was doing all of these videos, and he was one of the first real users of social media to engage with fans, and it just made him such a relatable person yeah. to people that supported not just the Bengals, but the whole NFL. It was just a very, very exciting time to be a Bengals fan. And something that not, it, you know, if you were interested in the NFL and you are interested in the Bengals, it was something that it, that kept you interested, um, if that makes sense. It really hooked you in.
1: Do you think he ever went too far? Do you think he's, his antics, that's the word that's often described when it, uh, when, Chad is 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 described antics. Uh, do you think they ever went too far? Do you think they ever kind of created too much of a circus around the team, or th- do you think he th- started to believe his own hype, or do you think that all that kind of stuff was just fun? And there was a lot of uptight people who did not like Chad Johnson um because you know you just didn't get that kind of personality, certainly at
2: that level in sports at all, really? I think it's a good question. The only people that could probably answer that question is the locker room. Mm. If they felt that he was a detriment to the team or that he in any way um, negatively impacted the chemistry in that locker room, then potentially. As a fan, and from what I saw on the face of things, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it was interesting, again, what Carson said on the podcast about Mm. the whole Cleveland thing. Because... Basically, for everyone that didn't listen, Chad sent a whole bottle of Pepto-Bismol to the Cleveland secondary <laughs> saying that they were going to need it. Which still makes
1: have... me laugh, I think.
2: Yeah, because they were going to have dodgy stomachs before the game because they knew they were going to cover him. Now, obviously, that madly pisses off um, every member of the Browns, not just the secondary. And, you know, when you go doing stuff like that, you do put a number on your back a little bit as to like, you know, people might play up to that they might play you a little bit harder they might yeah, just add yeah. that extra bit to their game because they want to do one over on you and yeah. to the, to your point about did he go too far there's an argument that you could have got teams really really desperately trying to um you know do one over on you but i think from a fan's perspective it was a lot of fun and i think when they banned the whole celebration thing in the NFL a few years ago, it felt really flat and a bit boring. And I think even now when they've reinstated it, you get some of these guys sort of trying to replicate those sort of fun things. But I just don't think anyone has ever done it as well as Chad did it. He had some real sort of natural swagger that just went down so well and at the time was um, just so much more exciting and innovative than any anyone else in the game.
1: Oh, I agree. I used to love watching him. I know I'm not a fan of those real swaggery guys. I prefer the kind of the the quiet, co- the quietly confident guys, not the big. Uh, mm. I am kind of.
2: See, fellas. that's surprising to me, son, because you're a bit of a like big I am <laughs> swagger sort of guy.
1: Well, you know, maybe opposites attract. I don't know, but um... <laughs> but no, I shouldn't have liked him, but I loved him because there wasn't anything. I don't think there was anything. It always seemed with Chad, there was nothing malicious about it. Nothing nasty. It was always, always, always playful with Chad. Yes, yes, yes.
2: Do you know what I mean? Was there
1: was no there's no cynicism involved. It was just pure excitement and fun. And um that's what I always got from him. So I used to love watching him play. And so what what was your favourite celebration, do you think?
2: Have you got one? Oh Do you care? Oh, I don't know if I necessarily have a favourite. I like The golf one was always really good fun. The little golf putt one that he did. The river dance was always the, uh, quite an <laughs> yeah. iconic one. I Personally, I think my my favourite was when he got on the camera. He yeah, that was that good. One and he um, he got on the... the camera. And another personal favourite that we've not mentioned was when he jumped into the dog pound at Cleveland. Yes, he yeah. He warned them before the game. He said, look, if I score, I'm jumping in. Yeah. And I think he got a beer over him for his troubles. But... Yeah, stuff like that. Like, And I think the, the great thing for him is he was one of the first guys to do it, and he did it with confidence, and he did it really – he really owned it. Yeah. And I think exactly like you said, it wasn't – you didn't get the impression that there was anything more than that. Like you said, there was a degree of innocence to it. He wasn't one of these guys that, you know, off the field was just, just come across like a bit of an arsehole. Like sometimes you get this criticism of people like Odell Beckham and some of the other guys yeah. that just – Think they're above everything and they're you know sort of living their own world a bit and I think you you put it very like very nicely when you said with Chad it was a, he just loved playing the game it was that innocence and enjoyment and you yeah. you really felt like he meant it um and I think that sort of sincerity really really sort of shone through to the fans
1: um we're talking about his antics there's that word again but it you you have to remind yourself that Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco PP was an absolutely amazing player for for 5 6 years during that 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 those 2000s you know arguably you know arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL for a period of time um i mean goodness me Chad Johnson i mean uh in let's have a look in 2003 he set a Bengals franchise record by recording 1,355 receiving yards. And then the next year, he got 95 passes for nine touchdowns and uh, twelve over 1,200 yards. Uh, and including the... Um, uh, this is a game that I'd love to get hold of, actually. He got 117 yards in that 58-48 win against the, the Browns. And then in uh, 2005... He surpassed his own franchise record uh, uh, when he recorded 1,432 yards. Um, well, check this out. He led the AFC in receiving yards for four consecutive seasons, and he made the Pro Bowl five straight times. Um, and he was an All-Pro, I believe, three times. I mean, and he was the NFL's receiving yards leader in 2006. Um that's a heck of a career. There's some big numbers. And uh, I, I think he's borderline Hall of Fame. You can talk about his antics. You can talk about all the back chat and all the kind of child play stuff. But he was a hell of a player. I mean, a seriously good player.
2: No, absolutely. And, you know, he had a, he was a really well-rounded player. He had the speed to beat you deep. He had the great feet. He had very, very, very good hands. I mean, I always remember some of those catches he'd make on the sideline where he just just about get two feet in and it's just yeah, impossible yeah. balance um, to keep his feet in and still make the catch that was going out of bounds. Like just a very, very fluid player. Um to your point about the Hall of Fame, I think if he had one more season in there, yeah. just if he stuffed another season in there and he got even he got seventy catches, one thousand one hundred yards and eight touchdowns, I think he makes the Hall of Fame without too many issues. But I think he will just fall short, which is a real shame because he, I think not only for his performance statistically and on the field, he just added something off the field. And I think for, you know, hall of fame players, there has to be something taken into account for the personality and the type of player and what they added to the game. And for Chad, he did add something to the NFL. He made it a more fun experience and, you know, he was just such an interesting character and, I think that has to go into the consideration in some way, shape or form. And it's a little bit like Frank Gore. Statistically, you know, his Hall of Fame argument doesn't always stack up. But you've got to just give so much credit for the fact that this guy has played for so long and just, Mm. you know, still producing at such a ridiculously high level after so many years. But the only other thing I think that will hamper Chad's case for the Hall of Fame is just the fact that he never, ever was able to perform in the playoffs because the Bengals... As we know, you know, never really got there. And I think mm-hmm. if he could have, you know, maybe with the Bengals had a really deep playoff run in 2005 or whatever it might have been to strengthen his case, then I think he would have, you know, he would have a better chance. But unfortunately, not.
1: Uh, Chad finished his career with 766 receptions, 11,059 receiving yards, and 67 touchdowns. Now, on to our final uh, 85. What a red
0: zone presence he's been for this team this year. Over the top to Eifert. He's across for the touchdown. I think he's the main reason why they're the second best team in touchdown conversion inside the red zone. Here's Dalton. Having to roll out, clips it in. Again. Second and ten. He's going one
1: to the end He goes. It's
0: Eifert with the triple
1: crown tonight.
0: To the end zone. And the catch is made for a touchdown by Tyler Eifert. Uh, Tyler Eifert. Marvin Lewis told us he's back to full speed. And Andy Dalton hanging in there, knowing the blitz is coming, knowing he's going to take a shot, but hanging in there and finding his Pro Bowl tight end.
1: For a touchdown. Well, there we go. That was uh, a little bit of introduction to Tyler Eifert. Nathan, all yours on Tyler Eifert.
2: Do you know what sunlight? Like, I'm not taking anything away from Tyler Eifert because he, he had a good career with the Bengals. I've got, I've got something controversial to say. Go on. I think, I think, I and this is gonna. I think a lot of people are gonna be pissed off by this. I think he was a bit overrated. Hello.
1: <laughs> this is supposed to be a celebration of 85s. <laughs> <laughs> Not a slag off of 75, of 85s.
2: I, I, I thought Tyler Eifert as a player and as a, as a guy was phenomenal. He's really good fun and he's a great character, physical presence, good player. But I think Bengals fans, I, I just don't, ever. I think apart from that year in 2000, was it 15 when he had that incredible season with 13 touchdowns and the Bengals were an absolute runaway train. Apart from that, I just there weren't many seasons he had that were that impressive. He had a few not not bad ones, but, like, I don't know. I think the talent was there. Like, undoubtedly, the talent was there. If he'd stayed healthy for the, what, seven years he was in Cincinnati, I mean, you'd be looking at, like, an absolutely extraordinary guy with a completely illustrious career. But, and I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate him, because, like I said, he had some good times here. I think, what, 24 touchdowns and,
1: you know,
2: whatever. But... I just think Bengals fans, because of the mullet and because of the fight, a bit like Chad, you know, he had that sort of um, connection
1: with the fans, didn't he?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Way, definitely way more understated, but um, just obviously came across as a great guy. And you rooted for him every single time he went down with one of those injuries. He had the resilience and the resurgence to come back. But for a performance aspect, I don't know, I just I think. I'm not saying again, like I said, I'm not saying he's a bad player or anything, like to anywhere near that degree, but possibly just slightly overrated in that in his entire time as a first-round pick for the Bengals, he only had just over 2,000 yards received. Well, I think I think
1: that's it's just a bit harsh because he was pretty much injured every year, apart from, you know, those those first couple of years. I think you're right. You know, if he'd have carried on his 2015 form, he he could have been. Not necessarily the next Gronkowski but the next Kelsey or Kittle or whatever oh, you know what I mean Yeah. and you mentioned he was taken in the first round I remember being quite shocked when they took him in that first round uh, because they already, I think they already had Gresham, Jermaine Gresham on the team didn't they?
2: Oh I think so, I remember definitely Dave Lapham tipped the pick, I remember that because I remember people think, "Oh, they're not going to take a tight end, that'd be a bit of a bit of a luxury pick. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I do always remember it being a bit of a luxury, but I think Gresham possibly was still on the team. Yeah, he was,
1: yeah,
2: um, yeah he was. Yeah, but he, Gresham was one of those other guys, wasn't he? Physical presence, big guy, um, first-round pick. But and I think people at the start were incredibly excited about the, the, the thought of using the two of them in tandem. But I, mm. it just it was around the time that, you know, obviously New England were using Gronk and Aaron Hernandez in that mm. sort of like dual tight end Mold, But I I don't think for the Bengals it ever really materialised, even though the talent was undisputably there.
1: Yeah, you're right. And you mentioned that 2015 season, um, 52 receptions, 615 yards and 13 touchdowns, which uh, got him selected for the Pro Bowl. And we all know what happened at the Pro Bowl, don't we? Uh,
2: I remember watching that. I remember watching that just tweaked his ankle, a really innocuous play, just Mm. sort of... And then he just sort of got up, he didn't seem too bad, and he just sort of took himself out of the game. And then I think that cost him, you know, almost half his season the next year, didn't it? Mm.
1: Yeah, there were back issues, and I mean, I'll always... uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Bengals fans loved him, because of his guts, because of his resilience, the way he had to dig deep. I mean, I just... Always remember that Atlanta game a couple of years ago when he was playing well, he'd start the season injury-free and then suddenly this freak, horrific leg break, you know, out of nowhere, out of all people as well. You know, Um, he had a very unlucky time with the Bengals, but I included him in there because it, again, illustrates what the number 85 uh, sort of signified, really. Some of the marquee players of the last 20 30 40 years have worn that jersey i think i think tyler eifert was was not obviously a a blaze down the field wide receiver but he was also a real fan favorite
2: yeah 100 percent. i mean i think it's really interesting to see the sort of torch handing for uh, yeah the the torch handing from um you know from chad to tyler eifert because i think apart from didn't Armand bins wear 85 for a year yes Armand right bins
1: yeah no you are very right he was with the Bengals I believe three years actually um, Armand bins did indeed wear the 85 jersey from 2007 to 2010 and then uh, okay. and then uh, the and then for the 2011 2012 season so just before Eifert basically okay, so there fine. was Chad Johnson Armand bins Tyler Eifert and uh, our new incumbent, which we'll we'll get on to in a moment, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, what what a great bunch of players to wear that number! Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you no, know, some of the most. If you could get all those eighty fives on a field together, now that would be something. Chad Johnson, Isaac Curtis, and Tyler Eifert, and then Tim McGee in the slot. Are you kidding me?
2: Oh, mate, I know, it'd be, a, be a pretty dangerous offer. I think even, even with one of us out there, son, we could get some yards moving with those guys as our weapons. Oh, I'll
1: tell you what, I'm juiced up about sports at the moment, I have to say, even though there's nothing going on, I've just finished watching The Last Dance and uh, the Michael Jordan documentary. I've just started watching that. It's really brilliant, and not just for the sport bit, but the stories behind it, and also the psychology of a winner, because Jordan makes no bones about it that it's like well if you don't like me then then i don't care because look at all the championships that i've won do you know what i mean so it's interesting in that respect it's just actually made me want to go out and play basketball again and watching these re-watching ifa and chad and uh uh and and isaac curtis and tim mcgee it's made me kind of think oh i wouldn't mind a little run around with a ball somewhere in a park Goodness!
2: Wait, the second this locked, though, why don't we do it soon? Me and you over at Hampstead Heath, pinging a ball round. You know, I'm
1: I'm so down that's, with that. It's unbelievable. What, that's
2: what the fans want to see,
1: isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the '85. And what's interesting watching these? I mentioned it at the top of the the, the show, is that even though these are pass catching players, they kind of wouldn't be anything without their quarterbacks of the time. So. Isaac had Ken Anderson. They had a fantastic uh, connection together. Uh, Tim McGee had Boomer Esiason. So already two eighty fives had two league MVPs throwing the ball to them in two separate decades. Uh, and then you had Chad Johnson, who had a Pro Bowl uh, quarterback in Carson Palmer chucking the ball to him. You had Tyler Eifert, Andy Dalton, another Pro Bowl quarterback
2: chucking the ball to him. And look who we've got now. I know, I know, and it's like the prime nine to eighty-five connection, isn't it? You know, if you're the man we're going to talk about in a minute, you've got to be excited to to continue that legacy.
1: Oh, I mean, both both players really are getting very storied jersey numbers. You know, obviously Joe Burrow is 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 the next number nine, I think, after Carson Palmer and T. Higgins, of course. He's the new custodian of the jersey number eighty-five, and uh, what shoes he's got to fill, but but what potential? I mean, he's he's got it all really. He's, he look he you talk about. He's more of a an AJ Green, Isaac Curtis kind of guy rather than a Tim McGee, Chad Johnson speedster sort of guy, isn't he?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And and obviously the Bengals feel like they've got to steal with him. You know, a lot of them. I think the Bengals, I think as an organization, felt that he was going to go in the first round. He slid to the first pick in the second round. So not by any means a huge slide, but, you know, shows you how high regarded he was. He played on a winning team at Clemson. Um, fantastic catch radius, great hands. Um, and I think if he's anything like people compare him to in terms of his comparisons to AJ Green, then we've got a, an incredible guy on our hands. And I hope that he can play this year. I mean, I think it's going to be tough for him because I hope that obviously our receiving core is healthy. I hope AJ's playing um, lights out. I hope Tyler Boyd's on the field for the whole season. And I hope John Ross plays up to his potential and he's on the field. And if that's the case, it's going to be hard for T. Higgins to play a huge role in this offense. But, you know, if he gets his chance or, you know, even if he gets a limited amount of opportunities, I I really hope that he can um, sort of flash his potential and, um, like we said, continue that legacy that the 85 number
1: holds. Absolutely. And uh, what a great number. So there's lots of good numbers. You know, you look at number 22, Eric Thomas, Jonathan Joseph, William Jackson. I say number 28 is an awesome number with Harold Green, Corey Dillon, and Joe Mixon. 80 is a bit special. 81 is a bit special. 84 is a bit special. You look at um, number 32, Stanley Wilson, Cedric Benson, Jeremy Hill, and Rudy Johnson. That's a really solid number.
2: That's like uh, the proper running back number 32, in it? That so, really is. As a is, Bengals yeah. fan for me, 32 is a right. Like, get that on the running back. Do you know what I Absolutely,
1: mean? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, number 90, Justin Smith and Michael Johnson. Uh, 97, last week's or last episode's guest, John Thornton and Geno Atkin. You can go on and on and on. But my favourite number is 85. I don't think it's quite successful in terms of player success rate as 14 and 28. But uh, and I've got no criteria to base that on. I'm just sort of making it up as I go along. It's totally arbitrary. But um, yeah, 85 was my favourite number out of the lot. When you look at the players who played with that jersey number, I think it's the most fun number out of the whole lot.
2: No, I think you're probably right. I think it's a really lot of decorated list that spans a number of decades. Um, and like we said, players in exciting skill positions from tight end to receiver. Um I'm really excited to see what T. Higgins can do. It's a an illustrious number, you know. Um and we'll have to see if he can sort of hold the torch.
1: Absolutely. Um well that's a lot for our first ever um
2: themed well not first ever, well is it,
1: is it Nathan? Our first ever themed episode?
2: I don't know. Like, it could be son. I can't I can't think we've ever done something like this before, you know. No, it, I think you're right. So- We're bringing out the innovation in the lockdown. That's right,
1: we're breaking new ground yet again. Um, So, yeah, do let us know what you think uh, about the number 85. Uh, We can be reached uh, at Whoday underscore UK on Twitter and Bengals UK on Facebook. Uh, We'll be back next week. We've got another watch party uh, this coming Sunday, which I believe is the 31st of May. Uh, So stay tuned for details about that. But until that time... It's a who day
2: from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys.
1: And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.